Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Good to be here today and to worship with you again as we uh, gather here. Reminded of what's coming next year, I want to just say thank you too to all of you who put in a lot of work to uh, make Vacation Bible School happen each, each year here. It's an exciting time to see uh, some kids from the community join us as well and just uh, we'll be praying for a good week here for that. How many of you talk to yourselves? Now the rest of you just don't want to admit it, right? <laughs> we may not all talk out loud to ourselves, but we do all have a self-talk that goes on in our heads. Uh, Paul David Tripp, in a devotional I read a while ago here, uh, says this, No one is more influential in your life than you are, because no one talks to you more than you do. It's a fact that you and I are in an endless conversation with ourselves. Most of us have learned that it's best not to move our lips because people will think we're crazy, but we never stop talking to ourselves. In, in this inner discussion, we're always talking about God, life, others, and ourselves, and the things we say to ourselves are very important because they are formative of the things we desire, choose, say, and do." End quote. I don't know if you noticed it here today, but as we were singing hymns today, um, you were talking to yourselves. Look at the hymns in the bulletin. What, what, are, what are the titles of them? And you'll catch this here. The first one we sang, Praise my soul, the King of heaven. We're telling our soul, Praise the King of heaven. Um, Be still, my soul. And at the end of the service, Bless the Lord, O my soul. We're reminding ourselves, we're exhorting ourselves to praise God. And the, many of the verses uh, are connected to that very perspective. Well, when we look in the Psalms, we find some examples of self-talk as well. And so we're going to look at a couple of them today. Psalm 42, and we're going to glance at 43 as well. But I invite you to stand in reverence to God's word as I read from Psalm 42. Begins verse 1. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go along with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with a voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Now here's just self-talk here. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. O my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mizer. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and his song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to, the God, to, to God my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do you, I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? 
As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for the Psalms and how we can identify with the psalmists and the things they deal with in life. And Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts today, even through this psalm, and remind us of the relationship you desired us to have with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The psalms that we have in our Bibles uh, really made up the hymn book or, or psalm book of the Hebrew people of the Old Testament, and there are 150 of them of various lengths. And you might have noticed, if you look in your Bible there, it might say above Psalm 42, book 2. Sometimes the psalms are divided into kind of different categories, five different books. And Psalm 42 is the beginning then of book 2, which is a section of psalms that are uh, ascribed to um, authors other than David. David wrote many of them, but uh, this section, probably not. Well, my Bible also says that this is a mascal or a contemplative psalm of the sons of Korah. Uh, they were, um, along with the Levites, designated to lead in worship. And some have wondered if it, maybe this is a psalm David actually wrote because of the style and so on. It seems to fit with that and some things in his life. Uh, if so, then maybe he gave it to the sons of Korah to lead in worship. And I guess it doesn't particularly matter. It's ultimately God's word to us today. Well, in Psalm 42, though, we get a glimpse into the longing of every human heart. And the psalmist describes it here as a thirsting soul. And you see, there is in the heart of every human being this longing after something that will really satisfy. And we all understand longing after things, like, for instance, food and drink. Uh, we get hungry every day, uh, a few times a day. And uh, we have cravings sometimes for particular foods, and so we set out to satisfy those cravings by uh, cooking a meal of that at home or going out to eat or something. But probably most of us uh, have rarely been really hungry or thirsty. I, I do remember, though, the, the last time I was in the Boundary Waters Canoe area, uh, about 11 or 12 years ago, took a number of my boys up there, and uh, it was a very hot week, and uh, we used up all of the drinking water we'd carried in, and the lake that we were on, the water was quite brown. And so, um, to disguise it, we would uh, put Kool-Aid or Tang in there, and that helped with, you know, disguising the color. Um, but it wasn't great tasting, and I, I know I was neglecting to uh, hydrate, and, and so... Uh, by the time we'd um, carried our stuff across the portages and, and uh, back to the spot where we would meet the uh, outfitter and he'd pick us up on the designated time, um, I was feeling a bit faint. And I remember well getting in that van and, and he had a cooler with cold Pepsi in it. And I downed that and it was amazing how much better I felt very soon after that. Uh, it satisfied my thirsty body. Well, God has created us humans with a thirst that is more than a mere physical longing. It, it is a thirst of our eternal soul. And the psalmist describes this longing that he has here as like a deer longing for a stream. 
and it seems likely the author was at some time um, out in a dry wilderness part of the land of Israel and, and may have experienced physical thirst himself, but also observed wildlife there and, and a, a deer panting for water and pursuing finding in a stream out there in the desert. But he also recognizes that out there, far from civilization, there's something that he needs beyond mere water to satisfy his parched body. And that is he has this deeper longing, a longing for a relationship with the living God. And the Bible tells us of how God created Adam and Eve and they knew a personal relationship with him and they walked with him. And how when they disobeyed God, they were convicted and they were ashamed and they hid from God. But God went looking for them and found them. And though they were expelled from the garden due to their disobedience, God provided a way of forgiveness and reconciliation. And, and really ever after that, then, mankind by nature has gone about seeking satisfaction from things other than God himself. And God has been pursuing us and drawing us back into relationship with him. And throughout the Bible, then, we have all kinds of examples of sinful men and women who have responded to God's grace and his mercy and found forgiveness and reconciliation and walked with God in their lives. That's what we all really long for in our lives, a restored relationship with our creator and walking with him, you know, communion with him. I appreciate the quote by St. Augustine where he says it this way, you have made us for yourself, O Lord and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Well, this thirst of the eternal soul for a relationship with God is something that is mocked by those that can't see him or understand him. And there are voices in our culture today that are doing everything they can to, to wipe out religious belief, branding it as, as something that's dangerous, and, and those that hold the religious beliefs really as being mentally ill. And some of them would say, well, we don't believe in anything that we can't see. Well, they're really deluding themselves because they do believe in all kinds of things they don't really see, like wind and electricity, viruses, and so on. I think it's helpful to trace the roots of their perspective. Where do those ideas come from? I read an article recently in the Clarion Quarterly. It summed it up well, um, referencing a late uh, philosopher, Paul Ricker, who described Karl Marx and Friedrich Nietzsche and, and Sigmund Freud as masters of suspicion. All, all three of them having the same perspective really on religion and especially on Christianity. Karl Marx, uh, often considered the father of communism, is, is well known to have described religion as the opiate of the people. Um, he also said this, the abolition of religion as the illusory happiness of the people is required for their real happiness. German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, um, known for his writings on good and evil, called Christianity a slave religion and said only the death of God can make men and women truly free. Sigmund Freud, Austrian neurologist and founder really of psychoanalysis, saw religion as, as not only a bad idea but, but as tied inescapably to mental illness. And so to Freud, if you're religious, then you're neurotic. Do we not hear 
voices in our culture these days more and more seeking to brand biblical Christianity as religious extremists and dangerous to society. Well, it is because of perspectives like that of Marx and Nietzsche and Freud that have been commonly taught in our colleges and universities for at least the last uh, two generations. It has produced a lot of leaders with all, uh, really throughout society, um, leaders who have no time then for a creator God and they would instead mock those who do. Well, the psalmist recognized that that deep longing in his heart was for a relationship with God. And the God that created him, really, for that very purpose. And so he says here, As the deer pants for the water brooks, my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And as he encountered hardships in his life, those hardships became occasion then for his enemies to mock him and say things like you see there in verse 3, they say to me all day long, where is your God? Verse 10, as a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me, and they say to me all day long, where is your God? But the psalmist recognizes they are wrong, and he longs to be in the presence of others who believe in and who walk with God. And the thirst of the human soul includes a longing then for corporate worship. Uh, nothing else can adequately replace that need to be with God's people and, and worshiping God together. And the psalmist recalls the joyful times in the past for him when he had traveled together with others to the temple there in Jerusalem for worship. And there he speaks about that in verse 4. These things I remember and I pour out my soul within me for I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with a voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude keeping festival. He's longing for such worship and fellowship experiences again. I am so thankful to be part of a congregation where, where many of you highly value that highly value coming to, together weekly before the Lord in worship and singing praises to him and hearing his word together and encouraging each other with personal fellowship. And I, and I want you to know, it's going to seem a bit strange for the next couple months for me. Um, do not be here worshiping with you um, as I take this sabbatical break. Uh, I, I do consider it quite a gift from the congregation that you uh, give me that time away, and, and I, I want you to know I'll miss you folks. Uh, but don't worry, I, I'm not likely to be skipping church altogether. I'll tend to probably take in a couple services in various places and, and get a chance to uh, worship with Christians in other congregations uh, and t get a taste of um, different traditions regarding that. Um, Paul Tr David Tripp uh, said this about corporate worship. He said, Corporate worship is designed to turn your heart from the shadow glories of creation to the one glory that will really satisfy it, God himself. The psalmist here was, was forced to be away from that for a while. And, and he was longing to be back together again with the people of God because, because he knew that helped him um, to look beyond the things of this world and, and to look to the Lord who is over it all. I think many of us uh, identify significantly with the Psalms because the Psalm writers express openly their feelings, and, and that's certainly the case here. Uh, if you look in these verses here, the psalmist contemplates, and, and he, as he's sorting out those feelings uh, of despair, 
um, I, I think there's some things helpful for us uh, to recognize about those feelings. One of them I see is this. Um, he recognizes that those feelings were real, but they were temporary. And, and you see him saying here, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. Though the feelings of despair were very real, he knew he wouldn't always feel that way. Those feelings of despair came when he was alone uh, or far from home. And, um, you know, there was a reason that, that God said, even back in Genesis here, it's not good for man to be alone. I think even people who would consider themselves introverts found the isolation that came with COVID lockdowns and so on to be really an oppressive thing. And many of them even realized that they need a social life. Despair is often resultant of being alone, or, or at least feeling alone. And being alone leads to talking to oneself, because there's nobody else to talk to, right? I see here in Psalm 42 and 43 some examples of self-talk. Um, there's three times that he asks himself the same repeated question. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? And as he contemplates those feelings of despair, um, it results in him calling out to God in prayer. And so we have then, part of this is, is a sample um, of, of a hurting soul's prayer to God. And, and what do we see there? Uh, we see some honest expression of those feelings. Uh, verse 6 here. Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. He, he tells God just how he feels. Uh, we don't need to hide those feelings from God. He knows it all anyway, and so we might as well talk to him about it. And the psalmist expresses then feelings of despairing, feelings of being forgotten by God, feelings of be, being rejected by God. And those are not reality, they are feelings. And, and as he talks to God about those feelings, he also then recalls how God has been close to him in the past. And, and he described here then the, um, as a place he's calling out to God from here. Therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the peaks of Hermon, let me just give you a glimpse of where that is. Um, when Jean and I were in Israel a few years ago, we, we went to its northern edge, and you could look across um, to a, a mountain, that's Mount Hermon. Um, it's actually up in Syria today then, um, but it's a high point where, there, where they do get snow. And the snow then melts and, and comes down the mountain and then uh, runs into the Jordan River, which runs right through Israel, um, and, and we're familiar with well, the psalmist may be up in that area, and he describes this water rushing over the waterfalls, along with his emotions here. He says in verse 7, Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. So in his prayer to God here, he, he's recognizing God's handiwork. He's also hearing God's voice, and even in nature. And you know, sometimes when we're out there in nature, our experiences out there re remind us of God's awesome power. It makes us feel a bit small, like out there in the boundary waters when you look up there at, at that vast array of the stars without any electric lights around. And you realize how small we are in comparison to the God who has made all of this vast universe. Well, as we look beyond this here, Psalm 42 kind of flows right into Psalm 43, and there's a similar theme there. The psalmist continues his prayer to God, and, and there he asks God for vindication. He, he's disturbed by the ungodly culture in his nation, 
and, and he asks for deliverance from the deceitful and unjust man. Well, there is deception all around us these days. And it makes it tough to know who or what to believe sometimes. And our prayer to God, I think, ought to be much like the psalmist here Then in verse 3 of chapter 43 here. He says this, Oh, send out your light and your truth and let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill, to your dwelling place. He's requesting there, God, to send out light and truth. And oh, how we need today the light and the truth of God's word to cut through all the lies and deception of our day and to point us to what we really need to know in this life and for eternity. Who should we listen to in order to know God's truth today? Well, we look to his son, Jesus Christ, who said this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There's no other way to find what will really satisfy the longing of our souls for a restored relationship with our Creator God. What the world really needs to hear is of Jesus. He is the way to the Father. He's the way to eternal life. He's the way to abundant life. Not Marx or Nietzsche or Freud. The, the masters of suspicion can't help us. Nietzsche, for instance, had a psychotic breakdown in uh, 1889 at the age of 44. Uh, and after uttering his final words, which in German sounded something like this, Mutter, ich bin dumm, means mother, I am stupid. His last words. And then he became mute and demented. He spent the last decade of his life, uh, as far as I understand, not talking, but in a mental asylum and, and died you know, about a decade later. Karl Marx, having suffered poor health for some time, succumbed to bronchitis at age 64. His last words were, get out of here and leave me alone. Last words are for fools who haven't said enough already. Contrast that with Jesus' last words. As he was unjustly hung on the cross to die, he, his words included, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do referencing the mission he'd been sent to accomplish uh, to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins, he declared, it is finished. And, and, when he, and then he said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit, and he breathed his last, and he died. But three days later, he rose from the grave, and, and 40 days later, ascended back to heaven. His disciple Peter, after that, declared this, there's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. The psalmist, as he struggles with feelings of despair here and is mocked by those who don't believe in God, he prays in Psalm 42 and 43, Oh, send out your light and your truth and let them lead me. And he pledges here that he will continue to worship God. Verse 4 of chapter 43, Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. Upon the liar I'll praise you, O God, my God. As we come to the end of this here, let me sum it up for us who talk to ourselves here today. What should we be telling ourselves when we have these feelings of discouragement and despair? What did the psalmist tell himself? Look back there, and you see these verses here, the repeated statement in verse 5 and verse 11 of chapter 42, and then verse 5 of chapter 43, where he asks the same question. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? 
What does he tell himself? What is the self-talk we see there? He says, hope in God. He recognizes his hope is not in himself and trying to just get over those feelings. Feelings are going to come and go. They're kind of unpredictable. He looks away from himself to the God who has declared his love for him, the God who offers him forgiveness of all of his sins, the God who invites us to come to him with our feelings. And, and, and he prays to that God. And he talks to him about this. And then he tells himself, remember how God's helped you in the past. Remember his presence has been there in the past. And he says, hope in God, for I will again praise him for the help of his presence. Hope in God, for I will yet praise him. So one more thing I see in these verses, kind of interesting to me. He says, hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Now, how is God the help of our countenance? Well, our countenance is our face. And our face tends to reflect our feelings, doesn't it? And so the psalmist recognizes that as he looks to God, God lifts the burdens that have been weighing us down and that have been reflected on our face. And so he, here he says, Look to God, the help of my countenance. We too can know a personal God who helps our countenance, helps our face. Let God satisfy the deep longings of your soul as he draws you to himself, as he offers you his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness for all of your sins, and as he offers to help you in the trials of life. And tell yourself to trust him with those worries for the future as well, and let him lighten your load and lift your countenance. And then I think, yeah, I appreciate what a former AFLC evangelist Ken Penty used to say. If you have the joy of the Lord, then please notify your face. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord God, we do have so much to be thankful for. As we go through the discouragements of life and the things we see all around us in our world here at times, our, our faces droop and we frown and we get discouraged and we complain. And Lord, you know it all. And so help us that we would come to you even with those feelings and those discouragements those worries about the future. And we thank you, Lord, that from the Psalms we, we get a glimpse in of that personal relationship with you. And we thank you that we can know forgiveness of our sin and eternal life because your word has declared that is available to each of us through the death of your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And we thank you for that. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us uh, each day uh, to look to you and that you would uh, do a work in our hearts and our lives and that that would be reflected in our countenance, and our face. And Lord, as we um, seek to serve you, and as a congregation does that even this week here at Vacation Bible School, uh, Lord, give us joy in our hearts that it reflects in our face and points to Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. <laughs>